0: Blog TALK RADIO Hi, welcome to the People's Medicine Show. My name is Sean, I'm the host. This is a two-hour scheduled show and I usually do it on the first Thursday of each month at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. So we're recording it live tonight. Uh, we have a call-in number. Of 646 929 2463. And if you'd like to interact with the show by email, we have an email address. I have an email address at peoplesmedicineshow at gmail.com. So you can send in your sound clips, um, maybe even record your voice and send it to that email address. I can also be uh, uh, reached through uh, regular social media. My name is spelled Sean, S E A N. Murnin, M-U-R-N-I-N. And I have a profile on Facebook and Instagram, which is on. So this show is um, on the Susan Weed Blog Talk Radio uh, channel. And tonight Susan is doing uh, uh, a teleseminar with Pam Pam Montgomery, and it's uh, staying staying sane in insane times with different plants. And I actually signed up to do that, and that's going to be at 9 p.m. tonight, Eastern. So I may end the show early so I could join the teleseminar seminar that uh, Susan and Pam, Pam Montgomery are doing. Uh, you can find out more information by going to wisewomanbookshop.com. And I believe uh, for non-mentors, um, students, it's $10.00. Uh, and you're able to download it and listen to it as many times as you'd like after, after the broadcast tonight is over. So I attended a, a couple of Susan's teleseminars during January, and they were excellent. Uh, there was a, one uh, teleseminar with Dr. Anna Lux from Hudson, New York. She's just an old family doctor, and her and Susan had a back-and-forth uh, going back at, about um, – COVID and Rudolf Steiner. And it was kind of funny because I, I really was sort of like half listening to it. And Dr. Lux was kind of difficult to understand. She has a strong accent. But then toward the end of the show, they started uh, taking a Q and a, and it was really cool because uh, a lot of the um, people calling in or sending in questions were very skeptical of the COVID-19 uh, vaccine that it was unsafe and um, untested enough and from all we've seen it appears to be pretty safe and I've expressed doubts that it was possible to even develop because I followed the methodology of them trying to develop um, the vaccine and they abandoned it in 2008 for the first um, I guess the what it was called in 2000, the first SARS virus. Yeah. So they've, um, yeah, SARS, the COVID virus used to be called um, SARS and it appeared that it was uh, halted in 2008 because they had a ferret model and like a year after the ferrets were vaccinated, there was just a lot of problems. and so they must've, just pulled their resources and solved that problem that um, stalled and kind of just um, put an end to the research if you really look at the history of the research of developing a coronavirus vaccine for human beings. But um, let me play a few of the um, clips that I heard from that talk with um, Dr. Anna Lups and Susan Wee. And this is um, Susan's first response about whether the COVID vaccine, uh, COVID virus is man-made and intentionally put upon the human beings. And it was a short 30 second clip. And Susan mentions a word (laughs) and I sent her a note today saying, what is that word? Let me see if she answered me. Because I don't expect her to be checking her messages um, all the time. But um, yeah, it's kind of funny because there was a, a word that sounds like, uh, oh no, I have limited internet um, bandwidth right now, so I'm not even getting it, but the first word of this clip, I do not know what it is, and maybe if you want, call in and tell me what, what this word is, so listen carefully, and I'm going to play the clip.
1: Uh, that pig shit is a lot better at creating viruses than any group of scientists. Just keep that in mind. There are 10 to the 31st power viruses in the air, 10 to the 31st power viruses in the ocean, and 10 to the 30th power viruses in the soil. For comparison, any one of those is 100 million times greater than the number of stars in the universe. Yes, there are wild viruses. You bet. And no, human beings are not really competent at creating them.
0: So that was one of uh, Susan's responses about whether this virus could perhaps be man-made. And um, it doesn't seem like uh, this COVID virus is man-made. It appears that it um, emerged from nature. And that word, (laughs) I wrote it down in the message. I should have wrote it down in my notebook, the pronunciation it sounds like. (laughs) <laughs> so the the other um programming that i've been listening to susan is i'm in her um mentorship program which is available at wisewomenmentor.com and i'm in the lower um uh just the base um level and twice a month susan offers a, a live zoom talk with um maybe like 10 or 12 people and they're getting quite crowded and that's why um a second one was added throughout the month. So you have like, if you're in the Wise Woman Mentorship Program, you have two opportunities to have um, sort of a semi-private talk. It's not being broadcast. Bring up your individual uh, health questions and uh, questions about your studies in herbalism herbalism live with Susan. And I remember the first one, someone was asking about uh, liver function and liver herbs. And Susan reminded me that Uh, dandelion root makes a great infusion. So I've been adding that all through the month of January to um, maybe once every week or every two weeks to make a a batch of dandelion infusion. And I was reminded also that one of my favorite herbs of all time, one of the herbs that I feel like I chose to ally with is called burdock. Articum Lapa (laughs) is the scientific name. But the burdock root is uh, extremely full of a chemical called inulin, which is really powerful for our um immunity. Um, I'm trying to think of the word that describes the inner biology that we have. But inulin is a, a real nutrient that's not really measured. I don't think there's um, uh, recommended daily dosage of inulin, but it's in most roots. And it's uh, when you extract a root either with water or alcohol, you can actually see the inulin when it um, settles to the bottom of the jar. So I've been making lots of burdock infusion. And what I like is I don't use the sliced burdock root. I use the chopped up small burdock root. And then after I uh, strain it, I add it to my brown rice and cook it again with the brown rice. So it's been dried. It's been soaked for eight hours in infusion, and then it's cooked for like 40 minutes with brown rice. And lately I've been making the brown rice in a instant pot pressure cooker, and it comes out pretty light and fluffy. It's, uh, rice is a tricky dish. I was just on the phone with someone, and they were saying, yeah, when you make rice wrong and it just doesn't come out right, you put, it, you put the leftovers in the fridge and you never want to eat it. And so um, – Rice is one of those things, it's like you just cut your losses if you kind of make it wrong, because it's not appetizing, as appetizing as um, when you make it correctly, where it's um, not too gummy, or um, undercooked. Undercooked rice is the absolute worst. So I like uh, well-cooked brown rice that's not too gummy, and that can be solved usually by rinsing the rice really well before um, cooking it. Uh, Rinsing off the extra um, powdery starches that um, gathers when it's in storage, it seems like it gives off, um, starts just sort of drying out and uh, shedding starch. So I think that's the idea about rinsing rice before you cook it. It does come out um, really fantastic in uh, the Instant Pot. I'm starting to get a method where it comes out perfect every time, but I'm not quite there yet. Uh, So yeah, um, I'm going to play another um, clip. So this uh, one teleseminar, and I think it's available at the Wise Woman Bookshop, just like tonight's um, teleseminar with uh, Pamela Montgomery. And it is February 4th if you need help looking for it. And I think on some of the emails, they were saying that Tonight's talk is February 2nd, so the, I think that's an error because I think they are doing it tonight at 9 p.m. But um, So this is, again, from the Dr. Anna and Susan uh, podcast, uh, teleseminar uh, podcast. And um, a caller was really just pressing Dr. Anna whether she was anti-COVID vaccine or not, And I thought Dr. Anna was just so eloquent and humble and really she's like, I know this, but I don't know that. And I hope to someday have such tact. If someone asks me what I think of the COVID vaccine, that I don't know much about it and I'm always curious to learn more. And, um, it just seems like going forward in the future of scientific medicine is immunizing people is going to really take a forefront in preventing things. So we don't even have to worry about using ivermectin or all these other treatments that are currently being used, um, especially in the third world countries. They're using parasite medication (laughs) as uh, initial treatment when people catch COVID and, um, it does appear that treating COVID does um, improve, um, uh, the, not improve, uh, reduce the amount of people dying from COVID. So saying that there is no treatment in the United States seems to have some political um, things to it. But fortunately, we as herbalists, we know that we can treat viral infections. And normally it's just like being resting and nourishing ourselves and pulling ourselves through and encouraging our bodies to make our natural antibodies. So let me get to this clip. It's short, it's three and a half minutes with Dr. Anna. So someone really tried to push her against the wall and, you know, with the question, oh, don't you think this vaccine is dangerous? So this is Dr. Anna's um, eloquent response. Oh, I didn't press play. <laughs> Hold on.
1: <laughs> the line Anna who wants you to speak more about um the vaccine.
2: And is it safe? Yes, yes I I will, but I don't know much about the vaccine, so I have to prepare myself for that.
1: So you have to prepare yourself to answer.
2: Yeah, I have to prepare myself to find out what the vaccine is all about i i have uh, I have very little knowledge because we are not being enlightened about that. The physicians uh only when you do the research, you are getting into their knowledge, but they are not letting you know how are they doing it. Actually, because Time Magazine. Actually, to make vaccine, ma- to make money. Time Magazine this week
1: uh, tells you in great detail exactly who's involved and how it's done. And um, so far as I see, there's very little money passing hands. Um, everybody that I know has been vaccinated for free, nobody's had to pay to be vaccinated. Um, so, uh, you know, it's cost millions and millions and millions of dollars to develop it. At this point, the companies that have developed the vaccines are, you know, basically losing money. So I don't think that there was really a monetary thing. So um, it, anybody who's interested, check out Time Magazine. And, uh, Dr. Lups, I hear that what you're saying is that you don't feel competent to say whether it's safe or not because you haven't done enough research on it.
2: But I am confident in saying that the the immunity that you are reaching with the um, the vaccine is inferior. The immunity that you are gaining with undergoing the uh, virus, the COVID infection, is superior. And then I say to myself, why should I risk uh, having the immune, the, the vaccine that gives me an immunity that is inferior when I can hopefully become sick and I know enough how to support myself and then have an immunity that is far superior. So I would like to be able to speak the next time about the two immunities that we derive. One is the immunity of undergoing the disease or the infection, and one is the immunity that we reach through the vaccination. And then it will explain itself that the immunity from the vaccination is so far inferior that you you wonder if the risk is worth it.
0: So that was Dr. Anna Lupps having um discussion and back and forth with Susan Weed on a teleseminar earlier this month. And I wish I wrote down the title of the te- um, tele-seminar, but it was uh, around uh, January 14th, and it was excellent. It was really interesting too. How I was kind of like drifting off for most of the most of the time, and then right at the end during the Q and A, I really seemed to get just a lot of peace. And um, I remember when this COVID thing first started, I had a great confidence in human beings having naturally developed immunities uh, toward horrific things like this that, you know, just take people out. And uh, I'm pretty sure that they've said that there's evidence that the COVID uh, virus has caused people to have permanent organ, organ damage. So I think it really does depend on how strong the person initially is. And fortunately, uh, many people who uh, listen to Susan's show and uh, my show, that we're aware of um, really keeping ourselves well-nourished in a lot of ways, not only with food but with movement and um, quiet time and proper rest. There's all types of ways to stay very well-nourished, and the benefits accumulate the longer you go on uh, taking care of yourself in a really wise way by eating um, Really strong mineral-rich foods like the uh, nourishing infusions. So um, I would like to um, play one more clip from that, and this is uh, just Susan taking it home. Like, why it really is irresponsible to um, say anything about you know that would discourage people that need the vaccine to get that to get it. Because there are people that do not have a strong immune system, and this may be their final blow um, of being, you know, of, it, it could be a final death um, sentence to many people. And if they, if they are vaccinated, they're going to have not only the protection of the vaccine itself, but just that psychoneuroimmunology type of uh, reinforcement. That I am protected from this from this virus, and it cannot um, cause me to get sick again. So I'll uh, play this last clip with Susan uh, talking about that uh, portion of the population that ex- exists all around us.
1: Susan? What I What I can say is that my granddaughter has never seen anyone with smallpox scars because the vaccination for smallpox is so effective that smallpox has been eradicated. What I can say is that my granddaughter does not have, as I had, friends who won't walk again because they went swimming in a place where there was polio because the polio vaccine is so effective that we have just about eliminated polio from this planet. So even though it might be second best, it turns out to be the best when we don't have to have those things. And again, I go back to what Zach Bush said, which is the vaccine itself is safe, but you miss the upgrade. And I think that's what you're saying, that if you think that you're that strong what enough I to, am saying. to get yeah, COVID yeah, yeah.
2: And, and, you know, and to get there COVID, there's
1: probably a better thing to do, but but that's <laughs> not it's not simply yeah. not true for everybody that they are in a position. You and I have made life choices long ago, decades ago, on choices about what we eat and where we live and how we use our bodies that have left us, even at our advanced ages, healthy and strong enough to get COVID and get through it. But I look around me and I see a great many people who haven't made those choices And suddenly this week deciding to eat better is not going to build the kind of healthy immune system that you're talking about.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So one last thing about the vaccine. So it now is available and it's available for free. Uh, Our local governments and health um, businesses are making it available to us. And I work as a a rideshare uh, driver on the big island in Hawaii, and so I've driven a couple people to get their vaccine, and this one uh, person flew in from another island, and they were saying that they were 80 years old, and I was looking at them saying, man, they look great for 80 years old, and they came out, they got their vaccine, they came back in my car, and then we were having more conversation. and they let it slip that they were only 65 when I referred, oh, you know, (laughs) I don't want to really divulged the conversation that led to that. But it was funny that um, they actually came from another island and lied about their age to get the vaccine. And I think there's no reason to curse people if they really want the vaccine to, you know, let them <laughs> skip the line if they want. But part of me is like, wow, that's, they, they must know inner wise that they just need it and they want it and they're going to get it. And, it, you know, they were not challenged. They got their vaccine. They gave me one of the stickers that I was vaccinated for COVID-19. So I I got that on my wallet. I should have taken a picture from my slideshow. So uh, this show, I put it out with um, a slideshow, and it's available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Susan Weed. And it's the People's Medicine Show. If you bring up the episode, you'll get to see the slideshows that I put out. So I'm really interested in whether I – perhaps was infected by COVID-19 very early on because I was on a um, number of airplanes in February of 2020. This was before it really became clear that there was, it, that it was moving swiftly through our country. And I caught something really quickly. There was someone on the well, the flight that I took, I believe from Los Angeles to Tampa and they had um a mask on, and they were right behind me and it was It was an interesting situation because I think I could have um you know stood up at the time, I just did not think it was serious that someone had a mask on, and um it was funny because at the time nobody was wearing masks, so if an occasional person wore a mask, I was like, well they 're just being very careful they, Perhaps um, they really do have an immune system problem and they need a mask. So I got off that plane, and within hours, I was hit. I was hit with it, and it was strong. It really came on so quickly. So um, I'm getting a routine eye exam next month or next week, and they offer um, coronavirus antibody testing. So I'm really curious to see um, whether – I've had coronavirus um, infections in the past and whether I have a a, a quantity of antibodies. And I'm not even sure about the antibody test. I I believe I have to pay cash for it. But it's um, less than $100. And I'm just really curious to see if I have coronavirus antibodies. Because just intuitively, I don't ever feel... Like, this could hurt me. But at the same time, I've seen very cocky people (laughs) claim that it can't hurt them, and then it does hurt them. So I am um, kind of treading with um, a real humility, a real I don't know, but I would like to find out. And so perhaps these antibody tests will improve, and we'll be able to tell whether – The new variant, whether we're immune from a new variant of this or not. And I was reading, I think, Bloomberg today, and it seems like coronavirus is going to be a new seasonal thing. So they're probably going to have new vaccines every year, just like for influenza. So that does appear to be the way things are heading um, as far as being locked down and stuff, it's really wonderful to live on the big island because we require really strict testing. And in, in turn, that's actually caused people to be attracted to come here because they know that everybody who's coming here has been tested once, twice, sometimes three times we test people um, before we let you on the island without um, doing a, a mandatory 14-day at-home quarantine. So what I'm finding out is uh, just by driving passengers around town that I would say our visitors are probably in maybe 60% of our visitors that we've had, if we compare um, it from last year. But now it's becoming a little bit more tricky because uh, there's a number of people who are moving to the island who have a work at home opportunity. And I guess in the past they They wanted to live in Hawaii, but they couldn't. And now that their employer is offering them uh, a way to work at home, they are able to live in Hawaii. So um, hopefully everyone that thinks they want to live here really does want to live here because it's it's very expensive. And if you change your mind that you don't want to live here, it's it's expensive to try to move back. And um, see, I've heard some really wild statistics, though, that most people that think they want to live in Hawaii really don't really make it beyond the five-year mark. So I think I've mentioned that a few times. I'm currently, I moved here at the end of 2017, so I'm a little bit over the three-year mark. But um, this place has not lost any charm from the day I got here. The first day I even visited five years ago, it's not lost one bit of the charm. And as you get to know a place, you get to see the dark underbelly, And you get to see the darkness and um, the stuff that's not really uh, visible uh, at the surface. But yet, I'm totally like, okay, I'm finding out more. And it doesn't really sour me and my enthusiasm uh, for this really amazing place with so much diversity in climate, in culture, and... um, yeah, just the different sections of this island, how there's different microclimates. It just never never fails to um, blow me away. But um, I knew about the Big Island when I was 19. Someone described it to me, and they told me the, the, the deal, that if you want to live in a, a remote place and kind of live off-grid in a rugged type of way, that it's available to, for people who are really want it. <laughs> But um, they really don't roll out any kind of uh, comfortable way to do it. You really just have to come here and uh, ask questions and be humble. And um, I was told, yeah, just act like a visitor. Act like you are an outsider when you get here. And, um, you know, and really try to tune into um, the island vibe and the island way of doing things. I met some really wonderful people, though, in this past month. I've been – doing a microdosing um, course through the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. And it began on December 14th. So I began during that week, and I did a full eight weeks of microdosing. And I think I did five weeks of four times a week. And I did it pretty much um, the way Paul Stamets recommended it. And I combined it with some lion's mane mushroom every morning. And I also took a supplement called niacinamide, which is sort of similar to niacin, but it provides, it has none of the um, itchiness or the flushing. And, um, I've read a little bit about the supplement niacinamide and it seems to be really beneficial for skin health. But, um, I'd like to find out more about how um, maybe it, um, attenuates the microdosing experience, but, um, I'm going to continue to use um, use it and um, it, I really don't know the whole mechanism of why it makes it better but I think it does because I've microdosed in the past without it with just the lion's mane and I think the niacinamide does you know attenuate a little bit so perhaps I'm able to use a lot less of the psilocybin mushrooms and get the maximum effect that I'm getting so I'm so this was my schedule. Basically, the class taught us just to keep a calendar and keep track of what days I was doing it. So for the first five weeks, I did it for four days. And then for week six, I did it for two days. And week seven, I did it. No, week six, I did it for three days. And then week seven, I did it for two days. And then this was my last week, and I did, I did once on a Wednesday. Instead of Monday through Thursday, the last week I uh, plopped it plopped it in on a Wednesday. Um, but, yeah, it, it has uh, what's called neuro-regenerative properties. And just like it basically is giving you the same benefits of doing a macro type of psychedelic journey. But I can tell you... Um, as you get older, if you've enjoyed tripping as a youngster, as you get older, it just seems like a lot of work. And I've done macrodosing pretty regularly now for the past few years, and I usually do it in the spring and the fall. And I do it to basically to prevent uh, uh, a headache type of disorder that I experience where I'm able to completely prevent headaches by using these macrodoses uh, two, maybe three times a year. And it's um, but this new microdosing thing is really amazing because um, the macrodose in comparison would be, I would probably think about it for a week before the actual macrodose and anticipate, and it would be a buildup of like, okay, I'm going to do it next week. Let me um, cl- clear my schedule, you know. <laughs> so a week would be uh, spent in preparation, and then I would have it. And, you know, have the experience. And then sort of the week afterwards, there was um like sort of a integration period where I wasn't quite ready to work, Where whereby this my, micro-dosing way of doing it throughout, not just for a three-week period of one-week preparation, you know, boom, the week of the macro dose, and then probably the week after of sort of the... Coming down and losing the glow, where it seems like the microdosing, the glow stays, and there's no, absolutely no motor skill impairment, no visual impairment. But there is a pretty distinct, unmistakable feeling of well being while you're doing it. And then For the three days after doing it for four consecutive days, I still feel a pretty potent type of afterglow. But um, the support group offered by San Francisco um, Psychedelic Society was wonderful because um, they reminded us that you could still have a day where you're in a terrible, bad mood. (laughs) And and, um, microdosing won't help. (laughs) <laughs> You're still gonna have a bad mood. But um I actually have to go to the bathroom and I wanna pause the uh talking for a while. So I think I'm gonna move on to the next um subject, which is can a podcaster be canceled? And there was a story in this past month where a podcaster was seriously canceled. They drew attention to themselves posting something on social media and it was an interaction they were describing between them and their daughter. This person was a male and he was talking about his interaction of kind of teasing his daughter that she didn't know how to use a can opener and he wasn't going to show her and he expects her to figure it out. And he sort of live tweeted while his daughter struggled to learn how to use a can opener. And he put into the story that, um, she was hungry and she wanted a can of beans. And he was like, we're, we're not going to eat until you learn. So he really encouraged her to just push on. And it was a puzzle that could be solved. And she, um, he gave her a lot of room to solve it, even though she was really kind of like moaning and crying and saying, no, I don't want to, I don't want to um, just show me how to do it. And I think during his, um, his live tweeting of his daughter um, learning how to use a can opener, he, was, he was like, I'm not sure. I thought I maybe showed her in the past, and she, she would sort of remember. I don't remember showing her. And he had to ask his, uh, his partner, his, his daughter's mother, uh, whether, <laughs> did we show her how to use a can opener? But anyway, it really uh, triggered a lot of um, women on Twitter, mostly women who were reminded of a cruel father who would tease them and um, not give them compassion. So it really just caused a cavalcade because um, these social media things like Twitter and Facebook and even Instagram, there's a lot of anonymous accounts. And I think that is basically the problem that Twitter and Facebook do not allow people to have verified accounts where their identity is verified And I think that should raise your social – I'm trying – not accountability, but um, credibility. Yeah, your social media credibility should be attached to whether you are some anonymous person spouting shit or a real person with a real name giving you um, their their honest truth. And more likely than not, you're going to get – more honest truth from someone who's being themselves and not using alternate accounts. So, um, yeah, this podcaster, um, he's one of my favorite people because he uh, also has had past issues with alcoholism and has like 20 years away from it. And he's still learning how, um, yeah, as alcoholics, we often have trouble socializing, uh, without uh, alcohol and it's uh, it 's always a learning thing to um, to learn to be uh, lubricated without using social lubricating lubrication and uh, so I am really connect with him when he describes his um i don 't think it would be called struggle with alcoholism but more like um journey of uh, recovering from it <laughs> and I really do believe um sort of in the AA philosophy or the 12-step philosophy that, yeah, these these things, you don't sort of recover. It's sort of a lifelong journey and you recover more and more each day that you wake up. And uh, that was one of my other topics that I was going to um, talk about tonight was, um, yeah, chasing our happiness. That um, some people are like, what do you mean you're not happy? And they try to shame you. And I'm like, now I wake up every morning, I'm unhappy, and I got to work for it. You know, <laughs> that, that makes me happy. And um, I think there is a difference. That, well, I know there's a difference between what's referred to as happiness, which is fleeting and changes, and that immovable joy, that zest for life, that, um, you know, that passion and, and sort of contentment to want to live. The will to live. And I think that's what something like microdosing could really restore in some people who's had their life, life snuffed out by something, or they have perhaps an unresolved resentment that they're trapped in. And I really do think that um, something like a mild uh, microdose done in a regimented way over a period of time, like four to six weeks, really help people um, um, on self-discover what's really blocking them in their life. So I'm really becoming so pro microdosing. So I guess I'm in the zealot stage where I want everybody to try it. And I just have to understand that some people are like, I'm never touching a magic mushroom in my entire life. Some people have had a terrible experience and they're never, they never want to even just go near this again And other people just have no, you know, unless a doctor is prescribing it to them or a herbalist that they respect is doling it out to them in, you know, pre approved measurements, you know. And it basically is where, you know, the mushroom is asking you to figure it out on your own. You know, you could start with um, a scale. Drying the mushroom and putting it on scale, and you could try 0.1 gram. And I believe um, the doses that I've kind of felt comfortable with is p- between 0.3 and 0.5 grams per day. It's really tiny, and I posted a picture on my slideshow of what one of the micro doses that I took daily, um, you know, for four consecutive days over a period of, um, I think it was six weeks, yeah. No, I did it for five
2: weeks,
0: (laughs) but I did keep a calendar, and that was basically it, and then I showed up to the the Zoom sessions that were being hosted, which were reminding us, you know, most of your days are going to be a pretty good day, but you're going to have a bad day there, and, um, you know, just be patient with yourself, because there is this thing called integration, so let's get back to um, can a podcaster be canceled, of course you can, anyone could can be canceled off any kind of medium but what's fortunate about the internet is you could post your podcast in five or 10 different spots and uh this is, this is um uh, next clip is pretty long but it describes someone who was almost canceled so they they started a Patreon and they were like okay it, we already have enough listeners so if you want to keep listening to what I have to say I'm going to put it behind a paywall. And this is one of their paywall posts, I believe, uh, describing what, how they almost got canceled.
3: I need to address something that happened recently. I've been in a little bit of a battle with another podcast we reviewed. I'm here to tell you that they have won. I have taken down both Episode 88 as well as Episode 97. So here's what happened. Last week, I landed in Las Vegas for Kevin's wedding. Very stoked to see my, uh, my friend and longtime podcast co-host, tie the knot yet again. Uh, I woke up to a social media shitstorm. There is a, uh, a host of a podcast that we reviewed not too long ago who decided to get uh, as many of her followers together as possible. And tweet and use other forms of social media to um, try to get me fired. They, they reached out directly to uh, the company they believe I work at, uh, my actual business partner, um, as, as many different connections to my real life as they could find in an attempt to uh, get me fired And, uh, you know, honestly, the the idea was to get me in trouble. And uh, I thought being an adult would be different than this. This is little kid shit, but it's real. There are adults who uh, decide that they want to get people in trouble. And the way that they try to do that is to use social media to at mention people who will see the information that they're spewing, their one-sided argument. Get all of their following together to uh, just harass the shit out of someone and uh, try to ruin their life. I gotta say that it worked. I have taken the show down, but I do have a response. So anyone who's interested in listening, um, here's here's the problem with with what's going on here, and it's not just me. It's It's happening in a lot of areas in our society now. The podcast host is pretending that the issue is things I said about people that she was talking about in her podcast. People who I'll never meet. People I was talking about while attempting to be humorous. My co-host and I were making jokes. We have a comedy podcast. It's a joke show that makes jokes. I am not an important person. Nothing I say has any impact whatsoever on anything that happens in the real world. Putting on a podcast that is one of the hardest things to find in the world could not be any more harmless. And I want to give the host of this show credit that she's not so dumb that she thinks words I say Have an impact on very unfortunate missing persons who are victims of crimes and their families. This is what she and her followers are trying to say on social media, and it's disingenuous. What really happened here was that this host's feelings were hurt because we made fun of her and her show. And I I think I can prove that's the real reason for this response to try to get me fired from my job. Her response when she first heard the show was to have it removed from the internet. She reached out to our hosting company and told them to take it down, threatened legal action to take it down. I had a conversation with people at my hosting company who had my back because everything I, every clip that I used is fair use. There are, There's a fair use clause within the copyright laws. When you're using something for use as part of a critique, it is perfectly legal to use it, especially when you're only using samples and snippets to make your point, which is exactly what we do. So her first response, and she's the only podcast who has had this response of the over 90 that we reviewed, was that we need to be taken off the Internet. So that didn't sit real well with me. I'm a big First Amendment guy, and uh, I thought that was pretty un-American. When that didn't work, she then reached out to iTunes and, again, threatened legal action and wanted this taken off of iTunes. And um, fortunately, iTunes did not take the show down. Unfortunately, I did, and that's because she finally decided that she was going to ruin mine and my family's life by getting me fired. Not to mention the people and the families who depend on me to do my job. I have a pretty important position at my job, and if I were to lose it, it would affect many people. She did this because we called her names in a bit that we did on our most recent show, episode 97. It wasn't angry in any way. It wasn't malicious. In fact, it was ridiculously jokey. It was over-the-top jokey. We were singing names that we were calling this person. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even close to serious in any way. It was the kind of silliness that it's so obvious anyone with a sense of humor about themselves would easily laugh it off. So this person thinks that angry mob justice is more important than free speech or free expression or art. And let's talk about that, that the punishment for something that she didn't like, her goal was to ruin me and my family. And think about what the ramifications are here. I said something in an attempt to be funny, to entertain the fans of our show. We didn't push this on her. There was no attempt to ruin her show or do anything to her show. Her show, just like the other over 90 shows that we have reviewed, have gone unscathed after we've had reviews of them. But she deemed that that was punishable by trying to ruin mine and my family's livelihood. Which is, I would say, a bit of an overreaction. I don't think that that punishment... Fits the crime. And uh, I don't do a crime podcast, but I'm pretty smart about how, what kind of punishments fit what types of crimes because I'm a rational adult. Um, all right. So I received a, I've received a lot of response since this happened. Obviously, a lot of negative tweets and a lot of negative reviews. I'm proud to say that we're up to 149 one-star reviews on iTunes, which is pretty goddamn impressive if you ask me. I challenge another show to have as many negative reviews as we do and still be around. Um, But it was interesting. You know, I I got some support from people who saw this come through, and I did want to read one of the emails that I received from someone who had uh, a similar issue with this host, and sent me a note that's uh that's pretty long i don't want to read all of it but uh she said i saw this person bashing you on twitter this person cannot handle a bad review she is known to bully and use her rabid followers to bully anyone who doesn't talk about her like she is the saint of all podcasts and she goes through some uh examples of things that she's gone through what's interesting is that i'm sure that Her and all of these followers who are trying to get me fired think of me as the bully. I'm trying to create an entertaining show for people who enjoy this style of podcast. This podcast host and her followers are quite literally bullying me. It's the definition of harassment. And I hate these people who pretend to mistake jokes for real opinion. This is everywhere. This is the majority of of the tweets because they want to pretend that why they're so outraged and why my life needs to be ruined is because I made a joke that is so harm. No, well, no, I didn't make a joke. I was serious about this thing that is so harmful to the world. Now, granted, I didn't actually do anything. I said words that were so bad that I needed to be taken down. It's preposterous. Did you know George Carlin once said he roots for major disasters Do you know what harmful major disasters are? He must be the worst human being to ever exist to be rooting for major disasters. What pisses me off the most about this is there are actual bigots and racists out there. There are people who are spreading hate, who are committing crimes, real life sons of bitches. And yet these fucktards are wasting their time trying to take somebody down who's doing a comedy show and trying to entertain people. And I'm totally fine with negative reviews. If people hear the show and they don't like it, and as I mentioned, a lot of them haven't and they want to give us a negative review. They want to tweet negative tweets. They want to email the show and tell me what a shithead I am. That's fine. That doesn't bother me. That is well within your rights. We all have our opinions I know that what we do is niche. It's not for everyone. I don't understand this sense that you can have, you try to have power over somebody else because you think you're in the right and they're in the wrong. What's funny is what this podcast host has accomplished is actually what's known as the Streisand effect. And for anyone who doesn't know what the Streisand effect is, it is uh, a phenomenon where an attempt to hide, remove, or censor a piece of information has the unintended consequence of publicizing that information more widely. And this happened when Barbara Streisand attempted to have pictures of her uh, Malibu home taken off of the Internet. And because she was so adamant about this, Actually, more and more people saw pictures of her home and exactly where she lives. I can tell you that virtually 0% of this podcast's fans ever would have heard our show. There, There's no overlap there. The people who listen to our show are not the same people who enjoy what this other person is doing. But thanks to the huge promotion on social media, it's now... This episode that I've taken down, episode 88, is one of the most downloaded shows we've ever had. It, it has been gangbusters. So way more people have heard the show than, than would have. I've received notes from many people who've discovered our show and are now subscribers because of the promotion that this person has put out. So it seems to be having the opposite effect of what they're trying to accomplish. You know, as I mentioned We've reviewed over 90 podcasts. This show host is the only one who's tried to take us off the Internet. Really, she's the only one who's tried to get a groundswelling of support to get me fired and ruin my life. Our show has had no effect on other people's podcasts. We've reviewed Adam Carolla, Come Town, WTF. These shows are still doing fine. And you know what? I haven't heard from any of those hosts. This person's response, and this is a popular show. It's way over the top. It's totally disproportionate to the tiny blip on the radar that is WATP reviewing your show. It won't affect listenership in any way. We're just doing this all for good fun. We're trying to have a laugh. We're not going out and trying to ruin other people's shows. I've never, ever posted a review about another podcast. I don't care. I hope that all the other podcasts have huge listenerships. I'm happy for them. This is not a contest. This is a roast. This show is a roast, and in a roast, nothing is off limits. I've had co-hosts ask me if there's anything they can't say, and I always say no. You can't have a roast if there's rules. Nothing is off limits. So if you want to address things we've said or I've said on this show, I welcome your retort. Everyone we talk about has a platform. They can use to respond. We've had shows talk about us. I play clips on my show. I root for them to be funnier than me. I actually will take things out of context and make them sound even funnier than they were. Because that's the fun of this. I get up and roast someone. They come back and roast me back. It's win-win. Everyone's having a good time. If you don't want to participate in the roast, then the best thing you can do is ignore it. Don't amplify it. Don't respond to it. If you don't want to be part of a roast, then just keep walking and nothing bad can happen. This is what I told Dina Marie when she called in and we did that show. The only reason why we have even talked about this show that we reviewed on episode 88 beyond episode 88 is because the host decided we need to be taken off the Internet. I don't talk about other past shows. I just move on. The other thing I want to address are a lot of these people who are tweeting at me, tweeting at my company or potential coworkers of mine and wanting to tattle on me and, and be tattletales. These dummies and this host specifically are tweeting at ad week because as you know, I work in a marketing agency. I have mentioned that before. So they're tweeting at Adweek as if they have jurisdiction over marketing agencies, it's a, it's a publication. They're not regulating our industry. You're tweeting at Adweek, can you believe what an asshole Carl is? Yeah, Adweek's definitely going to take me down. They're tweeting at these different autism awareness organizations, and what they're saying is they're so offended by the content that we've put out by the things that we've said or I've said. I don't understand these people who seek out content that is offensive to them. How boring of a person are you that you have to find things to then be offended by? If someone sends me a link to something I know would bother me, I don't click on it. It's pretty logical. If someone says, I can't believe what this person said on their podcast. It's so outrageous. It's going to offend you then don't bother with it. The only way I have a platform is if people react and amplify the message that I have. It's why Trump won the election, because the news media were covering every single thing he was doing all the time, trying to say this is outrageous, this is terrible, and all it did was amplify that message and get it out to everyone. I mean, you think about a Trump tweet, how many people would know what Trump tweeted if it weren't Amplified on every radio show and every newspaper, nightly newscast, but to these people who are seeking out things that are going to be offensive to them so that they can be outraged and upset about it, I'll tell you to Google Anthony Jeselnik stand-up, all right? This is, um, this is comedy that you will find completely outrageous and offensive, and when you hear this, you, may, you might want to try to censor the Internet and ban any speech that you don't agree with. Because here's the thing. There is an infinite supply of offensive things on the Internet. The Internet is a huge place, and there are people out there who can't handle it. If they were exposed to subreddits, they would be mortified. There are a lot of bad things out there. There are a lot of funny things that you would find bad, and there are a lot of really bad things. You don't need to seek it out. It doesn't help anyone. And I'll tell you, we're doing an unscripted show. We're trying to be entertaining. Our show is for a very niche audience. It's not for you.
0: Yeah, so that was called from the host of a podcast called Who Are These Podcasts? And it's actually one of my new favorite podcasts. He finds a lot of um, obscure podcasts, sort of like mine, with uh, untrained radio people doing podcasts who think they're so important, and uh, <laughs> and he just tears them apart. And like you said, it's it it's an open forum roast show, so if, he, if God forbid, if he ever picks me out of the crowd to um, feature on the show and makes fun of me, he does allow people to come back on his show and give it back to him. <laughs> and people have co- come back and give, given it back to him. They found him, I think, footage of Carl when he was a teenage rapper <laughs> back in the day So he's he ta- he gives it and he takes it, and it's uh, actually a very uh, fun show. I I really enjoy the the show. Who are these podcasts? And um. But it's really, to get back on the topic, uh, I've always been afraid, a little bit afraid of um, putting myself out there publicly and doing a podcast because I'm like, what if I say something wrong and what's the worst possible thing that could happen to me? Well, I guess they could um, have Block Talk Radio kick me off the air and guess what? I could go to Lib- uh, Li- Liberated S- Syndication and pay them $30 a month and start posting my podcast there or I could go to uh, patreon.com and set up a complete paywall where people want to listen to my podcast they can come behind my paywall and oftentimes when a podcaster is attacked like Carl says there's a strizing effect and and a thousand more people find out about a podcast that they normally wouldn't have found out about so I would like to kind of keep my podcast a little bit small until I'm ready for such a a humongous audience. But it just goes to show that uh, all you need is like 800. I remember uh, Seth Godin, uh, he's an author who came out with this concept a few years ago that if you have like 800 followers who will buy anything that you put out, you could really make yourself a comfortable living. You know, just if you have um, your 800 people that are paying $5 a month to listen to your podcast, you can pretty much um, live a modest life by just podcasting. I don't know if that's really what I want to do right now, so I'm not going to um, make my podcast um, a source of my income yet. But I am interested in using it as a platform to promote things that I'm involved with. And um, my experience with the San Francisco Psychedelic Society has been so positive that I would really – planning on starting my own local chapter, and perhaps I'll call it the West Hawaii uh, Psychedelic Society. And I do understand there's a a Minneapolis uh, area Psychedelic Society, so other people have already done it, and they've taken the model, and it would be basically for education, advocacy, uh, support. um, Yeah, finding the others. Uh, that was the edict of Timothy Leary that oftentimes after we've had these psychedelic experiences, we're never the same. And um, what we need to do is to seek out the others who have also had the same type of experience of uh, being one <laughs> with the universe and understanding that we are all interconnected. I'm trying to um, find a way to um, – close down the show. I'm sure once I close down the show I'll say, Why didn't I talk about that? Um, but yeah, I've been um being involved uh, more locally with people and just putting myself out there to become more vulnerable and it's um been very rewarding. Uh that this whole thing of um chasing chasing our happiness is something that I'm starting to really grasp that yeah Oftentimes, I wake up in the morning, and I, there's happiness out there that I have to go out and get. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing more from people who are listening to the show. You can communicate with me uh, on Facebook.com. Um, I'm listed there under my real name, Sean, S-E-A-N, Mernon M-U-R-N-I-N, M-U-R-N-I-N. And you can send emails directly to the show at people'smedicineshow at gmail dot com. So I'm gonna um maybe just take a minute of silence. I don't have any music to play out, but perhaps I'll I'll get uh, an idea of something else I wanted to talk about. But um yeah, I'm looking forward to um learning more about um, what's going on in the world of COVID and uh, it does. I did feel a little bit of grief um, in the in the past week to realize that nothing has yet to be planned for this summer, so it looks like uh, we're going to have one more year of uh, limited social gatherings, and I really am blessed to be able to um, be living in a small town you know, on such a safe island where people are not really afraid of catching covid so I'm able to go to a lot of in-person meetings, and we observe social distancing, and we meet in an outdoor location. We still wear masks outdoors, and it's, uh, I believe it's made all the difference because oftentimes when I go on these Zoom talks, I really uh, fail to make any connection <laughs> that I strongly make when I'm in a, a real-life uh, in-the-flesh type of experience. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to talk about with um, maybe, you know, as far as podcasting. I did mention, though, that I'm going to be forming a, a psychedelic society on the Big Island. And we're going to have in person meetings. And it's not just going to be on Zoom. And we're going to do everything that we need to do, whether it's uh, social distancing, masks, meeting in outdoor locations. And uh, we're going to probably just hang in there for the next year. And, um, you know, get everyone who needs to be vaccinated, vaccinated. And 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 I really, it's just miraculous to think that um, it seems so doable. It seems more doable than putting up a, a man on a moon um, to offer a vaccine to anyone who wants one or who thinks they need one, even if they have to lie about their age <laughs> to get it early. But um, that's really kind of, Cool that people want it that bad that they're willing to lie for it i i don't know <laughs> i I've been really watching my karma lately though when it comes to money or lying just stay, staying staying honest has been so much um, a priority for me um to um you know become more and more authentic each day and um you know increasing my um courage to be vulnerable with others. And so I think um, that's all I'm going to share for this month's podcast. I perhaps I'll, I'll take better notes and uh, have a, uh, more more selection of clips. But like I said, I I really there was a few months. Uh, I think it was October, November, even December. I was like, I just I'm not enjoying podcasts anymore. And lately, I've been just eating them up. I've been finding just good ones. Um, Joe Rogan had the ACLU lawyer on earlier this month who um, defended the Nazis in Skokie, Illinois. So he was just really um, laying it out how freedom of expression, freedom of speech and non-censorship is, that is the most American thing that we could uh, fight for and um, defend even when we strongly disagree with others, uh, every, you know, our, our right to say, hey, you know, they've taken polls and 40% of the United States population thinks that this past uh, presidential election was not uh, entirely fair. They're not saying that it was uh, cheating in every single state, but they're saying there was some cheating in um, states that really made a difference on the outcome. The vast majority of Americans are very happy with the outcome of the presidential election, and um, it's pretty easy to figure out why. Uh, the the, president, the current president, uh, Joseph Biden, uh, appears to be more presidential than our last one, and that's given people a lot of peace. But in my experience, people that appear more presidential start more wars, too, so <laughs> I'm going to really just – Stay positive and not be too criti- critical of people. And um, yeah, just uh, maintain my open-mindedness before forming these uh, harsh judgments. But I would also like to uh, suggest one more podcast that I heard in the month of January, and it was um, Tangentially Speaking with uh, Chris Ryan, PhD. And the guest was Deborah Kopakin, and it was absolutely wonderful. Her, She was promoting her latest book called Lady, Lady Parts. And she brought up the fact that uh, many of us who are in our 50s have severe hearing loss. So, um, yeah, it was really cool to hear her um, talk about her story of having her cervix removed and all these different things that have happened to her throughout this interesting life. She moved to Paris in uh in the 1980s and became a war journalist a war photographer. An excellent excellent podcast. Uh yeah, I recommend um The Tangentially Speaking podcast. Uh, Chris Ryan sort of my um inspiration for doing this show. One of my inspirations and he uh he often plays voice calls, voicemails from people who who are his listeners who are hey um hey, I'm, I'm in the hills of Indonesia listening to your podcast or wherever. <laughs> No, they are around the world, and that's what really is exciting about doing a podcast. That I could be in a stadium of ten thousand people listening, and it is quite. Um, I don't know if it would be exciting, but it's it's wild. It's a, it's a wild form of democracy, to um, that if you know an audience likes you, you can um, set up a thirty dollars podcasting account and um, have access to a, a global audience whereby um you know just hiding out on these social media platforms where many people have anonymous identities um that is not that does not ring as, as powerful and authentic as um putting your real human voice out and uh yes expressing uh, wow i'm trying to think of all uh, there was some, there was one other rap that i that i was going to go into but um i really do Love podcasting. Um, it's it's great that I've restored a lot of my passion for finding podcasts that I like and bringing them out here on this show every month. So I've um, enjoyed Joe. Um, Who are these podcasts? Tangentially speaking. Those are the three that, that sort of pop up at me. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, um, I guess we'll end the show. I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm sure once I end the show, why why didn't I talk about it? But then I'll make a note and um, speak about it at the top of the next episode, which I expect it to be in the first Thursday in March of next month. So um, thanks for listening, and I I hope to hear from you. And um, have a good February. Bye-bye.